Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. So this is a fun thing that happened um, during the pan, uh, during a peak social distancing and um, stay-at-home advisories that took place in, um, gosh, uh, 2020. Um, I was at home very often. Um, and, uh, one of the things I watched while I was at home, uh, in my room, uh, alone with, like, four roommates, some of which may or may not have been hired to spy on me, um, I, like, I, I watched Us by Jordan Peele, and, um, which is my, well, anyway, I watched Us, I, I, I really love that, that movie, and, um, then, like, a few days later, I was, uh, walking down the street from, from the dollar, the dollar store, like, um, and George, this, this person, uh, wearing a mask, like a, like a, a COVID, an N95 mask, um, as I was as well, um, was walking like kind of the same way as me on the sidewalk. And like, right as we were approaching my apartment, uh, said, um, oh, you, like, excuse me, like, you're, you're really beautiful. Could, uh, could I, like, uh, maybe get your, your number? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm gay. Normally, I don't, uh, use that as like a way of being like, you know, usually I'm, usually I, I'm just like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not 
interested or I'm not, you know, if it's like in an inappropriate situation, I'll be like, oh, that's, that's, I'm not here. I'm not, I'm here just for, you know, for, for professional, whatever. But because he actually seemed like a perfectly reasonable, nice person, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a lesbian because I, I didn't want him to think that he he was just a, like a total seemed that he seemed like just like a total jerk um or anything I just I so you know like it's sort of like it's sort of like um you know if someone kind of like approaches you and like it you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to be like oh oh I'm a lesbian but if I wasn't you know, of course I would, of course, you know, submit to your whatever it is you want. Just like, you know, when someone does that and they're in your mating pool or whatever, your dating pool, you know, but you're in a relationship, like, you don't just say, oh, I'm in a relationship, unless they're clearly insane and it's the only thing that will protect you. But, like, you don't want to give the impression that, like, oh, in a relationship but I would I would uh I would of course submit to your um desire to like bother me right now if I was single because like I just feel like that's that's only like emergency use um but like in this guy's case he seemed like a nice guy so I was like, oh, like I'm, you know, I'm a lesbian, I'm gay. So I was like, but you seem nice. And um, he was, he sat, like his voice sounded like Jordan Peele's voice, very similar. He, I mean, at least the top half of his face was like not dissimilar, his build. And, you know, and so I, I really feel like, Stay with me. I feel like Scientology or some weird spy organization hired like a Jordan Peele lookalike to stalk me. And like, I don't know, like just to fuck with me. I mean, like this was the, this was peak social distancing stay-at-home advisory time period, I was not passing guys on the street every day. I was not getting approached by guys by any stretch of the imagination in a way where this would have just been a coincidence. This was like someone monitoring my web activity saw that I had watched Us by Jordan Peele, saw that I often went on YouTube and watched the key and peel like comedy videos that I was watching key and peel a lot on my my streaming subscription at the time uh and they like I'm sure it wasn't the actual Jordan Peel cuz I imagine he has better work opportunities than to get paid to stalk me in front of my home um 
even during the pandemic, and if not, I'm sure he was able to tide himself over until the next opportunity came along. Um, But, like, someone hired, like, a Jordan Peele impersonator to not only, like, casually drift in my walking direction when I went was returning home from the dollar store near me, but ensure that our conversation like arced in front of my actual place of residence. And like, uh, I just, like I've mentioned in other podcasts, that literally, I, I just, I don't, I just, I wonder, this is, you know, the, just I, possibly the idea is, the possibly the reason someone did this is because they were trying to send the message of like, oh, like Joyce, you are like, you like, you, this is Jordan Peele's tethered, and, like, you're only really worthy to socialize with, like, Jordan Peele's tethered, and, like, you know, you're Elizabeth Moss's tethered, and, like, you know, that, maybe that was the message, maybe, like, you know, me doing the Handmaid's Dianetic show, show, is, like, I'm, maybe, like, that means that I am like Elizabeth Moss's tethered or something, which is, you know, maybe I am, maybe there really is like this weird government experiment where like I'm the tethered and like every time I do like a vague kind of motion or have some event in my life, it like resonates to Elizabeth Moss's life and like, you know, something like that maybe. Um, and then, like, if I, um, yeah, like, if I, um, let me think of an example. What would be a good example? Um, I don't really know the nuances between like how the different people, the different tethered would resonate in the lives of their upper world counterparts. Um, There's this interesting idea in Scientology about upper harmonics and lower harmonics where like lower and higher levels on the tone scale echo each other um so even though I look at the Hubbard chart of human evaluation and It says irregular practices, and 
this doesn't, exp- you know, in the sexual behavior column, down at the 1.1 level, it says irregular practices. And so I'm, um, it doesn't explicitly say that this is referring to like people who are queer, gay, LGBTQIA+. It just says irregular practices, but then throughout other writing and other like printings of the chart, it does say homosexual behavior. Um, and The chart of human evaluation almost indoctrinated me to visualize all of my emotions on a scale as I've said in other episodes of this podcast and part of the technology of this chart is that you don't jump from one emotion to the other if you move from sadness to cheerfulness, even if it's very rapidly, you still travel through every single emotion in between these two tone levels on the emotional tone scale. And this visualization was like embedded in me and it was also embedded in my concept of how I would experience emotion In like acting classes, and of course, it was embedded in my um, self-concept of what, how much, how much power I had in any, in any given situation. So. I have an innate, well, not innate, I have a deeply embedded sense that anger, grief, are powerless, like very, very um, little ability to influence like those emotions 
are not emotions that can can help you reach a goal or reach people or achieve influence of any kind well and this visualization that you know like you're not going to You're not going to be able to think rationally if you're communicating from a place of grief or anger. And that, you know, you don't come up with anything good in grief. So my whole concept of behavior and emotion... Is that like grief and anger are just a lower state of consciousness compared to cheerfulness. Regardless of what it is that you're sad about, regardless of what it is that you're angry about, I feel whenever I'm angry or sad, I just have this, I'm resigned to this sense that I... can't possibly conceive of anything anything of value anything rational any that i have to be that in order for me to function optimally i have to be in a state of like you know, contentment or cheerfulness. Um, so my whole concept of, um, of emotion is linked to like the grid on this chart of human behavior and the corresponding states of consciousness and functionality and everything. It's like, So I, even the way I organize um, my thoughts and my my um, my like daily operations and routines, like. It's kind of linked still to this sense of like Like, I can't be an effective, irrational being if I'm feeling 
grief, anger. That nothing flows on a higher wavelength in those states. But, uh, I mean, it's not as if Scientology is, like, exclusively in that school of thinking. You know, plenty of people just have as common sense, oh, you, you, you know, wait till you're not angry or sad to make a, you know, a decision or to obligate yourself to something. You know, plenty of meditation and achievement uh, leaders definitely uh, also uh, like endorse systems of very, very ferociously protecting your headspace and your ability to remain calm no matter what. Um, you know, so it's not as if this is like a singular, uh, a singular, um, instance. So like, I really am rather afraid to, it's like, I don't want to unpack everything, every single thing where it's like, I'm, you know, every single thing I ever learned only to learn some whole new flawed thing. Um, Cause then it's like, what am I doing exactly? Like, I feel like, I feel like the government or whoever like put me in this position just picked certain Scientologists to fuck with and then left the others alone. And like, I don't even just, I'm, I'm like, what exactly is happening here? It's almost like, well, um, I don't know, maybe I'm being used as a scapegoat, but as an example to, to try and get Scientology to like be more progressive with with, like, the LGBTQIA plus community, um, or something, because, like, um, But, um, there's this, there's this, um, Like, uh, there's this sense that, like, 
if if I if I I don't know maybe like if I if I don't feel like I'm in this perfect headspace or the, at least an idea of this perfect headspace I won't be able to make as sound decisions or react properly so maybe it's like because of that I, I repress a lot of my decisions and reactions because I feel I'm not in that ideal perfect headspace as dictated by the Hubbard, you know, as embedded in me, almost just not consciously at this point by my, like, just hours spent internalizing that Hubbard chart of human evaluation and then combined with... <clears throat> doing these bull bait drills and and um being told so often that I was flunking which is weird because I really really like looking back I like put my full full trust in the in the people the supervisors coaching me so when they would tell me that I flinched I believed them but People tell me on a regular basis, like, I seem really, really calm and like, it's all, it's really actually annoying, but it, it happens a lot. Um, and, and I'm wondering, like going back and when I was doing these bull bait drills at the church, I, I really just, I couldn't get through those bull bait drills in the volunteer minister's course for a very long time. And I hated doing those drills. I really didn't have, as they would say, a lot of confront with doing those drills. I just, I hated doing them because you had to try to get the other person to flinch. And I hated looking like a fool and doing these stupid, goofy things to try to get them to, to react, which is weird because I'm sort of like a, like a natural clown like comedy's been how I coped with things but then in the church a joker and degrader is considered like like just a total a total foil for any like community like is considered like it just is always going to fuck up everything for an organization um, and so that was why when I went to acting school, I did everything I could to avoid being categorized as a, quote, funny person and only tried to do, like, dramatic uh, crying scenes, like, every time uh, in, cl- in class. So, <clears throat> like... But at the same time if it wasn't for that religious mythology influencing me to not to to really have a you know have a kind of disgust for my joker and degrader tendencies i wouldn't have pushed myself so hard to try to pursue those um those tragic scenes Um, so, I mean, you know, a lot of artists 
come from all kinds of religious backgrounds with which they are at odds. Um, And it shapes them in a way that makes them conscious of something that's bigger than just themselves. And I don't know, like the excruciating pain of that development, it just seems to be like a recurring theme throughout society and throughout history in all different cultures, these rifts and tensions within artists around their spirituality. Um, I don't know, it's interesting. When you look back, you see like some of these famous composers had like a, I don't know, a perfectly serene relationship with whatever their religion is or was. And then others like have all these conflicted feelings and like, you know, their lives were so at odds with the ethos of their church. But the ultimate point is, is that they struggled with it and grappled with it. And that shaped like their work but at the same time when you don't have some sort of religious code you embrace something else larger than yourself uh it just what that what that is will be just something else but i guess it's human nature to embrace and grapple with something larger than yourself and like it shapes you your consciousness and psyche they they form in that context and The thing about religions is that they tend to have a prescribed set of virtues and ideals that are there, laid out, and like... Like, let's say you are raised with, you know, without a religion. And then your parents are like, oh, you, you, you don't need religion. You, you can read James Joyce. You can listen to Bach. You can, you know... you you can you can study art you can study science 
But, like, I just... I worry that religion is like this kind of intellectual crucible of some kind that is like the mythology that you have to contend with to like form Patterns, And then if someone tells you to study art and science instead, it seems like so many of those scientists and artists who come to these conclusions where they're like, ah, fuck religion, still had to go through like experiencing it firsthand before they became who they are. But also, again, I come from like a repressive religious cult, whatever you want to call it. That means I probably haven't been like as educated as some. Um, but at the same, I just, I don't. I just wonder why I was positioned as a apostate and a defector. Um, you know, to get blackballed and scapegoated the way I am to get honey trapped um, by Julia or played against Julia so that we would both be kind of like you know depleted by the heartbreak of that um you know why celeste was leveraged why noel was leveraged um Because it seems that there, there's a clear desire to um,
perhaps cultivate me as a defector um, so that other people can use that conflict to leverage themselves. Um, so, um, Anyway, that Jordan Peele impersonator thing happened. Um, and I mean, religions don't really take root without a series of progressions involving reformations, rebellions, expansions, persecutions, um... over the course of centuries and it's it's almost like you do have these visionaries pop up but most of them wind up being kind of like a passing event and you just wonder how some keep an organization progressing and like if that's just a natural occurrence or what like but i wonder like if we didn't have religion to give shape to the shadows and the lights of our 
conception of human mythology. And if we didn't have organized religion to do it, And I guess out of the many little cults and religions that pop up constantly, maybe people try to pick the least psychotic ones or prevent them from going in that direction. But like, if we didn't have that, if we didn't have some organized outlet for those shadows and lights... You know, what would happen? I don't think it would be good. It might, it would be like, we would either be living in a totalitarian society, like, like or like we would just be like randomly just going to see whatever charismatic culty person in our neighborhood decides they want to like get 30 people into their basement doing weird ass rituals every week and like you don't know if they're going to turn out to be like just like a total psycho I'm sure that always happens, but, like, it would be, like, way more. Um. I I fear that the thing about LGBTQIA is that no matter your intersectionality you're always born in a context minority So even if you come from a very privileged intersectionality, you're still going to be born, like you can't control if you're going to be born around any other person who is queer in any way at all, LGBTQIA plus in any way at all, Not to mention within the vicinity of anyone who could even be like a potential crush or like person you would date or flirt with, like even get to flirt with, like mutually, like 
And it's, you know, if you're, if you're straight, you like grow up having to contend with a very large, like context of, you know, once you like, I guess, hit puberty, if you're like straight, cisgendered, um, heterosexual, you like in, you know, in puberty, when you start to feel like sexual attraction or, you know, you immediately are like just overwhelmed with like, like I can, I can only imagine what that would be like, uh, because even though I, I grew up just assuming I was straight, I did not understand why m- my my friends would act like so idiotic around boys. I thought we were all like faking it to compete for attention like the giggling and the weird idiotic like just attempts to like entice the boys like I thought it was just just it was just exhausting to me and like I was like I thought we were just all pretending to compete for attention and now I under like then only when I finally like understood consciously what like sexual attraction like adult you know, sophisticated, like some, not, I don't know if sophisticated is the word, but like adult sexual attraction felt like, I was like, oh, now I understand why people act so weird and crazy when they're like flirting because like you can't control just like the, the hormonal surges. And I'm just like, God, like, no wonder if teenagers and adolescents are fucking crazy. Like, they're going through this and they're like 12. No wonder they fucking come home randomly pregnant and ruin their lives. Like, this is a very powerful feeling. Like, it's just, no offense, sorry. I shouldn't have said ruin your life. That was just uh, for sort of societally imposed uh, paradigm. But, like, no wonder people just accidentally get pregnant when they don't intend or desire to like I can see how this whole feeling would just totally fuck up your life I mean it has mine well not ultimately but like you know what I mean like it got me to do a lot of things um fortunately none of them too bad I think I had enough of an intellect and adult mind to steer myself but just like a lot of LGBTQIA plus people go through this delayed adolescence because they're not born into enough like regular contact with potential like potential romantic partners to even like have enough exposure to like just um go through that maturation, emotional maturation process the way straight people are forced to. 
Um, that doesn't mean you don't go through other maturation processes. Like obviously you physically mature, you intellectually mature. It's just the, you, you're just, your you, you're sustained. Like if you're, if you're like out at a young age, you're almost like forced into the limelight. Like you're forced to be like politicized and like a, you're, you're like, you are expected to just be like a symbol of many LGBTQIA plus people. And then if you don't even realize it till much later in life, you just like have to contend with like feelings that other people got to kind of sort out when they were like in seventh grade. Um, and that's very awkward. Um, and so like you're born into this context minority. If you're lucky, let's say you born into like a wealthy family or everything is safe. You, you, they're very accepting and progressive and you come out at a young age. Um, you're still going to come up against a ton of like, you know, um, just differences that might not be accommodated by your immediate culture, no matter how supportive your family and friends are. And you still have to do a lot of work that I can only imagine that I probably am not even sophisticated enough to have done myself yet. Um, as a, as an adult who will no longer be excused by society, um, like for failing in those areas. Uh, so it's like, and of course that doesn't mean I'm not going to bitch about people who are more privileged than me, you know, in an effort to like guilt people into giving me opportunity that I might be getting iced out of. Like that's a part of, you know, business and everything. Um, but I'm just saying like LGBTQIA plus is the category of, 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 of genotype of identity genotype I don't know what the term is but of of um it's it's the it's like the thing that's always it's one of those groups that's always going to be a context minority and can't say like because you can't um just like has to just reach beyond many many more boundaries to like meet certain needs that for other people are much more immediate um And I think that can probably tend to just, 
you develop different traits. Um, and like you can, it can lead to some very significant strengths in certain areas. Um, you know, but then vulnerabilities in other, just like for straight people who have significant strengths in some areas, vulnerabilities in others, but ultimately like there's so many factors to everyone's individual character that like you can't classify them. Um, One thing, though, is, like, if you think about, like, a Hollywood actor and casting and you're like, oh, okay, like, a straight person playing, like, a gay person in a film versus a, like, a gay person getting to be cast as a gay person in a film, I'm I'm wondering, like, Well, I was thinking the other day that like uh if if you're a straight person playing a a gay person in a film, you get to have like blinders on about like a lot of you know internal politics um, that might just not be on your radar because you're not gay or LGBTQIA plus. And so you don't, you're not sitting around arguing about this stuff all day, the way like somebody who is personally motivated to do so would do. And so you kind of get to have blinders on and you get to focus on like the acting, right? But (laughs) you get to focus more on the acting than if you're like, than if you're an LGBTQIA plus person playing that person. And then you're going to be like distracted from doing your work by like the news. And then you might not get to do as good of a job. And that's irritating to me. And I hope that's not how it is, but I feel like it's weird. It's like you're expected to have like you're expected to focus less on your work and more like if you're the person who's at the disadvantage like given the opportunity then like as if you're then if you're like the person with the advantage and so 
but it's like you also don't have that luxury like i do i do think it i do think it can be true that an actor thrives if they have privacy and can just focus on getting to act and like not having to publicize their personal lives and then have their public persona and people's endless desire to comment on their public persona interfere with their simple work as an artist and this is not this is not like a, a homophobia thing this is not an avoidance you know this is not cuz i'm grew up in a repress you know in a in a repressive homophobic cult in acting school they like they they like you know some studios will be like yeah like you wear all black and you know you don't wear any makeup to class for like 4 years you know so you can be about the work your own image should not be in your head when you are basically starting from scratch to create like a role but like lgbtqias plus lgbtqia plus people often don't have the luxury of the privacy unless they're forced into privacy by a repressive regime of some kind but if they're not forced into privacy by a repressive regime of some kind that we often are in the position of having to publicize our identity because it's being attacked in some way and it's just not fair and there you go um and i feel like like um I don't know. I just remember like some quote that like monoculture equals death is like a principle of environmental science. And so um like gender and sexual diversity is like a crucial necessity in the human species um because it per, you if you have strictly a gender binary you know bundled with a sexual orientation binary that's potentially dangerous because um the two the two uh sexes just become more and more polarized um and you know less and less able to break out of uh their existence in relation to the opposite sex um when you have in the human species like somebody who is a you know like simple basic example somebody who's born you know somebody who's a woman as like and they're not attracted to men they're attracted to women it means that they have a very unique perspective 
because they have no incentive to um they they have no sexual incentive in relation to men um they don't value men through the lens of sexual attraction um the way a straight woman would and they they will value women through a lens of like sexual and romantic attraction so they also have the unique perspective of not feeling an instinctual sexual competition with other women and even if they're not even conscious of the fact that they're a lesbian or however they would label themselves that unique perspective has a huge ripple effect and and just human beings having uh and and also you know if a assigned male at birth individual is in fact a woman and they're born male but they in fact find that they're transgender they go through a unique process of discovering a female gender identity having been born into the body of a man and that unique perspective has huge ripple effects that diversity is crucial to the evolution of humanity and almost the balance of society not so that you know gay people and trans people can be like you know your compassionate uh nannies and hairdressers you know as their permanent station in society or something like that you know cuz you know we can have kids too we could we could you know and it's not just you know we could decide to like fuck each other or just find someone who will mate with us and bear bear a kid you know what i mean like people we could do that somebody people do do that like you know and throughout history like straight people have married one person for the purpose of like mating and then been in love with another you know it's not not that anyone should you know i mean i'm just saying like um it's just this complex system of diversity and the you know the fact that like uh, lgbtqia+ people are the, like sort of among this one of those more rare groups that's born just at random distribution throughout the whole human race always in a context minority it makes that that um community sort of like a like a hobermans spe- uh, sphere where it's like we're like a smaller network within a larger network and kind of because just because we're just forced to traverse more obstacles and more boundaries to to con- make contact with one another 
purely because it's just a smaller minority, we exchange more information about more social groups intentionally or unintentionally. And we kind of serve, we just, you know, just we happen to like make sure pockets of society don't become so polarized in different ways. Um, could be one thing. I think that's just one component, but that's like a, I think that's, I, that's possibly a, just a principle of diversity and environmental science. Um, but the challenge of diversity is how people, how to get people to unify for like a cause or a crisis when, um, you know, when it's necessary and it, it can be very necessary. And then I think, um, there's like this, I think it's, I think it's like a false idea, but I think some people like to tout this idea that like, oh, a society starts to decay when like gender roles are like all mixed up and like, oh no, you gotta have like the strict like jobs and gender roles and stuff. Um, and you know, you do have to be able to like unite large groups of people um, in a cause or a task like quickly to survive um, sometimes, but then there can be um, like ideally you can do both. You can have diversity and you can have the ability to unite quickly in crisis. And I don't think it's it's scary to think about education and more sophisticated esoteric things because at the same time like you can feel that the most civilized aspects of human society are the most fragile um and it's hard to like think about you know wanting to refine intellect and like sophisticated pursuits when some people can't even have sufficient shelter, food, climate control for their living situation, and, like, water. Um, And there's this weird... There's this thing of, like... Well, I just remember, like, in Scientology, there was this thing of, like, um, in order to make the, the best decisions, you have to be, like, able to completely transcend, like, a bad circumstance. But then when you appear to transcend a bad circumstance... You know, if whether it's like you could be someone who is constantly exposed to bad circumstance, like for whatever reason, you just have the ability to uh, think in spite of it or you transcend the bad circumstance because you like have millions of dollars and you live in a secret mansion somewhere and you're not affected by it immediately. Um, If people like sometimes like if, at least in Scientology, this idea is like, you know, 
if people see that you're somehow able to transcend a bad circumstance, they're gonna they want to try to take you down because you you know because they got ta- they feel like they're taken down and they're threatened by the fact that you're not or something. That's that's a common idea in a lot of you know general pools of like I guess common sense, but like there's this paradox of like you know you can't you can't make a good you can't the best decisions about how to fix a shitty circumstance come when you're in a mindset that transcends that circumstance. But then when you seem to transcend a circumstance, people are going to be like you're, you know, you don't deserve to be making decisions about this. And that's a big question I have. Like, you know, what's the best mindset to make decisions about a really tough situation or circumstance? And is there one? Or is it is it all chaos and fallacy? Because, you know, complete disorder is quite terrifying. Um, but then there's this, you know, also a prevailing idea, at least in my locality, is that, you know, orders, systems, and hierarchies are arbitrary and they're just, they serve whoever's in power. And then, you know, um, and that's very disturbing because that means that anybody can come along and say, well, now this is the order because I, I started it and I'm going to be in power. So now we're switching to that. And I'm just, I'm really hoping that there are just commonalities between effective solutions that will not just be like different oppressors fighting to be in charge. Like, I know that there are people who aren't just interested in power, they're interested in creating systems and they're rational enough to create them and maintain them. And I'm sure some outside perspective studying humans sees similarities in how we order different civilizations and what works better or worse the way we are able to look down on ants building an anthill um and i mean
I think we have more variables in our consciousness than the ants. So that becomes a part of our occupation. We have more impulses to satisfy and therefore our occupation becomes exponentially more complex. Um, I don't know if the act of thinking through all of that is even like anything more than what the powers that dictated my education decide is what they want from like a contemporary citizen in order to achieve an overall greater instance of civil peace. And I don't know if I would disagree. I don't have anything to compare my existence to. But Scientology views self-consciousness, introversion, as things that Scientology is supposed to fix so that you can be more effective and action-oriented. Um, there is no interiority you are a person free of basically inner thoughts and any deviation is like a, a, a symptom that you want to address. Um...
Lord knows. I don't know what the inside of another person's mind is like. And I'm sure Elon Musk is possibly trying to create microchips so that instead of Twitter accounts, our minds will just be completely broadcasted onto some individual account that we just like sign up for. And then, then, you know, then at that point, I will probably go back to Scientology. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.